Good morning. Good morning. Have you, have you guys had your refreshments and are still having them? Good to have you with us this morning. We're going to get started so that we have ample time. What a beautiful day it is, isn't it? Amen. Some of the men on the way in were saying they had their golf clubs and they might skip out. But uh, one's already gone. <laughs> you can't hear me? Okay, so I have to get right up on this thing and almost touch it. Okay, okay. Jerry's going to turn it up a little bit. Yesterday I was having lunch with Jerry and I told him, I said, tomorrow we're going to be in heaven. And he said, do you know something I don't know? I said, no, the class, we're going to be in heaven finally, not hell anymore. So um, five weeks now we're going to concentrate on heaven. Can you hear me better? John, can you? <laughs> this morning's... Uh, lesson is called the grand hope of heaven and let me start with prayer let me ask you if there's any prayer needs that you have i know mama b told me is she here she told me last night that she was feeling better we prayed for her last week and she's here this morning good to see you yeah. glad you're feeling better too any other one have a prayer need yes Linda? my friend margie's having a surgical procedure this morning and very scared Okay, Margie. Margie. Surgical procedure this morning. Okay. Linda Mallory also needs prayer. Okay. And is that for physical healing? Linda Mallory. Okay. All right, let's pray again. Father, we thank you again for this morning that you have given us. Beautiful morning. We thank you that we could be together. We thank you, Father, that we can open your word and we can talk about one of the most precious truths there is in the Bible. And that is that after this life, those of us who are your children will be with you and be with the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity, ultimately on the new heavens and in the new heavens and the new earth. We long for that day. We pray that you would give us in these next five weeks a greater appreciation of heaven, a greater understanding, a greater desire to be there with you and a greater desire to live godly in this life, seeking those things which are above, living life in light of the future hope that we have in Christ. So Father, open our eyes this morning and meet our needs. We, we just want to come to you, Father, and ask you for uh, Linda's friend that's having a surgical procedure this morning. We ask, Father, that you would be with her, take away her fear. May she rest in you. May you use this procedure for her good and bring good health, uh, whatever her need is. And then for the other one that was mentioned, uh, Linda, that uh, has a, a physical need, we commit her to you as well. And we ask, Father, for your healing grace. Thank you that you have been with Mama B this past week. And you have brought healing to her, and she's with us this morning. So we commit our time to you. We look forward to opening your word together now. We ask your blessing. We ask for your direction. And we ask it in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. Amen.
The uh, first numeral on the outline that you have there is called the present day believer's knowledge of heaven. And I want to just ask you a question, a couple of questions. You can answer if you want to. You don't have to answer, but just to get you thinking this morning a little bit. At our age, probably the answer to this first question is going to be greater and more positive than if you ask people in the younger age group, young couples maybe, or the young singles class. And the question is, how much do you find yourself thinking about heaven? How much do you find yourself thinking about heaven? The average age of this group should be higher. Should be higher. Should be higher. Thinking about what is ahead. Remember Jonathan Edwards, what he said, he said he vowed every day to think about his death and to think about the future glory of heaven. Every day he said, I vow, Lord, to think about that my life is only temporal here. Someone even said that uh, Alexander the Great's father, Philip, had one of his servants remind him every day that, Philip, you are going to die one day. We need to remember that. We need to be thinking about heaven. We need to be thinking beyond this life. And now the next question is this. When you think of heaven, what do you think about? What do you think about? What, what thoughts go through your mind when you think about heaven? Hmm? Think about Jesus, seeing him. Worshiping around the throne. Described in Revelation. Okay, worshiping around the throne, Revelation 4 and 5. John? The earthly things you'll be released from here. Yes. Yeah, and think about this too. No more temptation to do evil. No more sin. Only what is righteous and good and holy. Being with Christ. Somebody else had their hand up. Yes? Unfortunately for me, uh, when I was first saved and was sitting in a church, one person stood up in front and said, I think heaven's going to be boring because we're going to be sitting around in church all the time. And that has been my my sight in my mind my whole life, yeah. my whole church, yeah. my whole life. Uh, I, I think that's a good point, and that's why some people probably don't think about heaven that much, because they either picture themselves on a cloud with a harp, <laughs> floating around somewhere, or in a prolonged church service. You know, that goes on forever and ever and ever. That's not heaven. In the next five weeks, I hope that we see from Scripture that whatever we find good and delightful and joyful in this life will be multiplied there a hundredfold more. The things that you enjoy, I think some people, they don't look forward to heaven because they think, I'm not so sure it's going to be as good as what we have in this life. I mean, you can get out there and golf. And you're wondering, can I play in heaven? Will there be a course? There may well be. Without sand traps, somebody said. But water heaven. Heaven's going to be far, far greater. Far more glorious. Far more enjoyable than anything that we've had in this life. Anything. We ought to be thinking about heaven a lot. Here's some things that I put down. 
I think probably even among believers, the average thoughts about heaven today are somewhat deficient. Here, here's part of my reasoning. Lack of written material on heaven. If you go to the average bookstore, Christian bookstore, and you begin to look for good books on heaven, you're not going to find a whole lot to choose from. Randy Alcorn has written one that I recommend on heaven. I don't necessarily agree with everything in there. So it, he's speculating a bit and he says that. But he's trying to make points from what he knows about Scripture. But he, here's, the, here's the thing. It is a good book to get you thinking. It's a pretty thick book. You can even get a smaller one that's kind of a study version of it. And uh, I remember giving that, that smaller version to my brother who uh, just passed away in the last couple of years. But he was living in Ponte Vedra, just up the coast. And when we were here, we would get together. And I said, Gene, read this book. Because I wasn't sure that he knew the Lord at all. And every time I would see him, I'd say, have you opened that book and read it? Because in the book is a gospel presentation, too. But I wanted him to get a vision of what was ahead. What could be his? And every time he would tell me, ah, no, I haven't looked at it much. We need to be thinking about heaven. We need to be looking at what's ahead. But there's not a lot of written material out there. Here's another thing I discovered. Is that in teaching and preaching, teaching and preaching, we don't hear necessarily a whole lot about heaven. I haven't over the years. I don't know about you. But I don't hear a lot of focus on the hope, the glorious hope that is ahead. Here's another discovery I made in the area of teaching. I started looking at systematic theologies that I use. There's one, a one volume by Burkhoff. Burkhoff's one-volume systematic theology is 700 pages. 700 pages, one volume. Guess how many pages are on heaven? One. One out of 700 in this systematic theology, which is a Reformed systematic theology. I looked at another book and uh, was going through it and uh, discovered that in, in uh, Pentecost, Dwight Pentecost, who was one of my professors at Dallas, he's written a book on things to come, all future things, 600 pages about things to come. How many pages do you think on heaven? 15. Maybe a, a few more than that, depending on how you slice it, but about 15 out of 600 pages on heaven. And he's writing about things to come. I'm not sure how that works. But anyway... Here's another one. Shed. You heard of Shed? Shed's dogmatic theology. Um, he's written um, a lot of theological things. He has in his section, or on, yeah, the section on future things, 87 pages on eternal punishment. Two. Two on heaven. I think the average Christian doesn't think much about heaven. And part of that is we don't get preaching and teaching on it. We don't see it in our theology books. People are not spending time. And the other thing is probably lack of our own personal study sometimes. But we ought to be, we ought to be the most joyful people on earth 
when we focus on the subject of heaven, which is our eternal future. I think Scott tried to describe it last night when he was preaching. He talked about a gazillion. You know, after a gazillion days with the Lord, there's no end to it. You don't wake up in on the new earth, in the new heaven. You don't wake up thinking, boy, I wonder how much time I have left here. I wonder what I'm going to do. I wonder if this will be joyful. There's not going to be any physical pain because we're going to be in a glorified spiritual body. If you want to walk through a wall, you can. Jesus did in that body. Came through and entered into the room of the disciples when the doors were shut and locked. And there he was in a glorified body. No more sickness, no more sin, no more temptation. Glorious. With friends that you've known in this life that are fellow believers, you can go up to the Apostle Paul and sit down and have lunch. You can find out some things about his life. You can go talk to Moses. You can talk to David. You can talk to the Lord himself. It's going to be a glorious, glorious time. Let me, let me turn you to Philippians chapter 3, or ask you to turn there. 17. Listen to what Paul says in 17 and reading down to verse 21. Philippians chapter 3. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they, and this is a scary passage, they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite. God is their appetite. Their belly is actually what it says in Greek. And whose glory is in their shame. They glory in, in things that are shameful. Now notice he says, follow my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many are walking. And I'm thinking he's, he's talking about people who are professing. People who are professing and they're walking and glorying in their shame. They set their minds on what? Earthly things. They set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. That's what we ought to be focusing on is the future. Not the things that are on earth. That should not consume us. But we want to focus on things in heaven. Let me read you a quote from C.S. Lewis that I like. He says, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did, who did most for the world were just those who thought most of the next. The ones, the Christians who did most for this earth, for this world, are those that thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world 
that they have become so ineffective in this one. Think of what he's saying. When we think less about the world to come, the heaven to come, we're less effective in this one. He says, aim in heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. See what he's saying? If your focus is on the here and now, and it's the thing that dominates your life, People have often said just the opposite of that. They said, that person is so heavenly minded, there are no earthly good. You heard that? Yes. That's, that can't happen. If you're really heavenly minded, you will be an earthly good. I like what C.S. Lewis has said. I put another thing down here. Some people are, are deficient in their study. Oh, let me turn you to one other passage. Colossians uh, chapter 3, another 3. Colossians 3, just one book over from Philippians. And you remember these verses in uh, chapter 3, 1 to 4. If then you have been raised up with Christ. What does he mean by that? Raised where? There's two resurrections that occur for us. One in this life. One when the Lord comes back. What's the one that happens in this life? In the inner man. Spiritual resurrection. Romans chapter 6. We've been raised up with Christ. We died with Him. We're no longer, we're forgiven. We no longer are under condemnation because of our sin, because we're forgiven of sin. And we've been raised to newness of life. There's been a resurrection if you're a believer already. And it's a spiritual resurrection. And we can now walk by the Spirit. And the Spirit of God indwells us. And there's a future resurrection for the body. So when He says, if you have been raised up with Christ, He means... If you're really a Christian, if you've been born from above, if you have spiritual life, keep seeking the things where? Above. above. Seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Remember we talked about it, and I think we talked about it, um, during the, the time talking about hell, Stephen, when he is martyred, and he has a vision of heaven just before he dies and leaves this, this earth, what was Jesus doing then? Standing. Standing. Next to the Father. Why was He standing? To welcome Stephen. To say, good job. Well done. You kept the faith. You ever read his Stephen's sermon in Acts 7? I wish all guys preached that way. He didn't miss any words whatsoever, did he? He told the Pharisees exactly what they needed to hear. And you know what they did? They picked up stones. And Paul held their coats. Because he had not been born from above. And he was stoned to death. But normally you would picture Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Not on the things that are on earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. We die? Yeah, what we were, the old man is dead and gone. The new man is in his place. We've, we've died with Christ and we've been raised with Christ. So he says, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. See the things where? There. Think a lot about those things. 
Think that this life is only temporal, no matter how long you live. You know, it, it grieves me when I hear, I just heard the news this morning, some lady in Houston, married woman, young, getting ready, they were saving up money to go on a trip to celebrate her marriage. And some guy drove by in a truck and killed her. Shot her in her driveway in Houston, Texas. Either today or yesterday. But I thought, how sad. But you know, for us who know Him and have our eyes fixed on, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all other things will be added unto you. Matthew chapter 6, 33. We need to be focusing on heaven. That's the grand hope. If our grand hope is here and all we're trying to do is forge more years here so we can enjoy our retirement, there's something wrong with that. We have a retirement awaiting us. And guess what? You don't have to worry about your IRA. Or what's the other thing they call it? Your portfolio. You don't have to worry about that. You'll have all you need and more. And it will be the most joyous thing. That's why the early church, Lord willing, in August, I'm going to teach in the seminary, Church History 1, which is about the first 500 years of the church. And I'll tell you, that is a sobering subject. Because you see people dying in the arenas because they wouldn't renounce Christ. What enables them to do that? Because they have a hope. They're looking for being free from this life. It's not wrong to pray, Lord Jesus, come. I mean, we want to see people saved. We, we know that in 2 Peter, he says the reason the Lord is tarried is because he's bringing in the elect. We want to see that happen. It's not wrong, however, to pray, Lord Jesus, come. Saints that are in the intermediate heaven, right now, where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, that's the intermediate heaven. That's not the final heaven. They're calling out, Lord, how long? Revelation 6. How long before you go back? That's, that ought to be our cry, too. We ought to look forward to those days. Anna and I have said to each other, we've been best friends in this life, and we intend to be best friends there. Anything that we've had good in this life, together, we expect it to be multiplied in the, in the heavens and the new earth that awaits us. Isn't that glorious? And yet... We get so caught up many times in this life that, that that escapes that escapes our attention. Some people, by the way, get confused about heaven because there's false teaching out there. Do you know, you know what some of the books are? The bookstores that are selling it's people that have died and gone to heaven and come back, and now they've written to you what it's about. Don't buy those things. You have plenty in this book. Those books are not inspired. And when I listen to some of those people talk about their time in heaven, I just go, wow, there's even movies out you know, about that. Don't buy into that. Look at the Word of God. 
and see what it says. So some people are confused because of what they're hearing. They're, they're hearing stuff that doesn't really fit with Scripture. Now, uh, present day, number two, present day evaluation, present day believers' evaluation of heaven. We talked about those a little bit. Some think it's a much better alternative than hell. And that's kind of where they leave it. It's a better alternative than hell. If that's all we think about heaven, that it's just a better alternative, we have missed so much in the Word of God. We have missed so much that's there about heaven. Um, some, as I said earlier too, don't think it's necessarily a lot better than here. That's sad. That is also sad. It is going to be so much better we can't even imagine. And I'll tell you one thing. Believers that have gone there, even in the intermediate heaven with the Lord, awaiting the final return of the Lord, and the new heavens and new earth of Revelation 21 and 22, they're not asking to come back. None of them. They are joyful to be there and to be with the Lord. So, don't think that they're going, Lord, give me some more time. They're not. I, again, sometimes our views, you know, just like the extended church service or floating around on a cloud or what, whatever some people have come up with is nothing compared to what Scripture, what we're going to see, especially in the next four weeks, about what Scripture says about heaven. Now, number three, the biblical writer's evaluation of heaven. I want you to look at some Old Testament saints. Now, what Old Testament saints thought, but I'm going to take you to the book of Hebrews because that's where it refers to some Old Testament saints and what they thought about the future. Turn with me to Rome, uh, rather Hebrews 11. We're going to look at what both Abraham and Moses, Old Testament saints, thought about the future. And that's in uh, Hebrews 11. First of all, we'll look at 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is who? God. He's looking for a, the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He wasn't looking ultimately for just an earthly city. Let's, let's get down a few verses here. Go down to verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Are you a stranger and exile here? We are. It's not our home. We're strangers and exiles here. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, 
they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a, what's it say? Heavenly one. They desire a better country. A heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared, what? A city for them. He's prepared something for us that's beyond anything that we could imagine. Now, think of um, Moses, because that was Abraham. We're going to look over at the same chapter, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. What was the king's edict? Kill all of them. Yeah. They weren't afraid of the king's eating, so they hid him. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ. Now, I want you to stop and think about that. This is Moses we're talking about. What was he considering? The reproach of who? Did Moses know about Christ? You better believe he did. The Messiah of the Old Testament is Christ of the New Testament. And the seed of Abraham, which is always the seed singular, the seed of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, that would eventually be the answer to our sin issue and our need for forgiveness of sins and giving us life and a hope for the future is Christ. And Paul will say in Galatians chapter 3, all who have placed their faith in Christ, the seed of Abraham, singular, all who have placed their faith in him, both Jew and Gentile, are the real offspring of Abraham. The spiritual offspring of Abraham. Jew and Gentile. Who is it that really are Abraham's offspring? Heirs according to the promise? It's Jew and Gentile that are in him. The seed. The promises to the seed. And all who are in him. And, and this Moses knows about Christ. Considering the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You know what the reward ultimately is here? And in the Greek, it's talking about the ultimate reward, heaven. He just didn't care what Egypt said. Because he's looking to Christ and to the greater reward that is in him. Do you remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 73? Turn there with me for a moment. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 73 regarding our future. And one of the reasons that heaven is going to be so glorious. Listen, listen as I read verse 21. When my heart was embittered, and I was fierce within. And by the way, the psalm starts off, he's bitter because he sees rich people on earth doing better than he, a righteous man, is doing. So he's upset, and he, and he goes in to get with the Lord, and he lays out his 
frustration. Why are they doing better than me? I'm your servant. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast taken hold of my right hand. With thy counsel, thou wilt guide me, and afterwards receive me where? To glory. Look back up at 18. One of the things the Lord said to him is he said, look at these rich people. Look at everyone who's doing well in this life. And, and here's what, what he learned from the Lord. Surely thou dost set them in slippery places. Thou dost cast them down to destruction, to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when aroused, thou wilt despise their form. He said, don't get so enamored with the rich and wealthy and those who have everything in this life. Focus on the reward. Focus on the glory. Look at verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from thee will perish Thou hast destroyed all those who are unfaithful to thee. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all thy works. What makes heaven great? One of the, one of the things that makes it great is right here, to be with the one who created us. But not only created us, our Father, He saved us. When we turned our backs on Him, when Adam number one turned away and disobeyed, and some have said, what was so bad about eating fruit from a tree? What was so bad about eating fruit from a tree was God said, you've got thousands of trees and thousands of fruit here. Eat anything you want, but not that one. It was disobedience. It was rebellion against the Creator. But the Creator also sent His only Son to be the Savior, to die in our place, to receive what we deserved. And He has prepared a place, as He says in John 14, remember, 1 to 3? I'm going, but I'm going to prepare a place for you guys. That's why the disciples could go out and one by one, one by one, lay down their lives. That's why in the early church they could be put in the, the, the lion's den and they could say, I am not renouncing my faith. Because I know where I'm going. And I know who I'm going to be with. And the nearness of God is my good. It was, it was the hope of what is future. It is so easy to get our focus on the things of this world, isn't it? I don't know about you, but wow, we have a lot of stuff in this life. You know? If you don't think you have a lot of stuff, ask Jerry what it was like for him to get ready to move into a smaller home. Did you have to get rid of things? Did you find things you had no idea you even had? Mailed it to you. <laughs> That's that one I refused to receive in Colorado. Because <laughs> I knew where it was coming from. 
we get so much stuff and we get so worked up about stuff. There's only one thing that matters. It's Him. And it's our future with Him. It's not, not in this light. Let me, let me turn you to Isaiah 65 for a moment. We're still looking at Old Testament things. Isaiah 65. One of the promises about the new heaven and new earth. And in Isaiah 65, he even starts out in verse 17. He says, For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. And by the way, the only time that this phrase, the new heaven and new earth, are used, as far as I know from my study of Scripture, are in Isaiah 65 and 66 and Revelation 21 and 22. The new heavens and new earth coming down from heaven, Revelation 21. But here's the Lord talking about, through Isaiah, new heavens and new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people so there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. Now he goes on to say, verse, verse 20 is, is kind of a verse that you go, well, what in the world does that mean in here when it's talking about new heavens and new earth where people are not married? Verse 20 says, no longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. By the way, that's not even in the trans, that's not even in the Greek. I don't know why they put that in there. It's basically what it's saying is no longer will there be an infant or an old man who does not fill out all of his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100. Now, the question is, do I take that figuratively or literally when he's talking about the new heavens and new earth? Because nobody's going to die in the new heavens and new earth. Some have said, well, maybe that's the millennium where people are still dying. But that's, that would be interesting because why would he be sticking that in the discussion? I just found it the other day online, a 32-page chapter from G.K. Beale, who's a Dallas grad, um, and he writes, he's got a book this thick on Revelation. You want to read a big book on Revelation? It's like the biggest I've seen. He has got a 32-page chapter. This man is prolific on why this is to be taken figuratively, why it's not referring to actual life and death. But let's, let's read on in verse 21. And they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall also plant vineyards and eat their fruits. What's he talking about here? New heavens and new earth. And they shall not build in another inhabit. You don't have to worry. In Colorado, there's a strange law. If you leave your home, this is why we have our son check on our home quite often while we're gone. If you leave your home in Colorado and somebody comes in and gets a, gets a key to get into your house and they're in it, when you get back, you can't get them out without going through major police and legal activity. They're in your home. So he's saying here, listen, um, you'll build in, and in, in, you sh they shall not build in another inhabit. They shall not plant in another eat for as they 
as the lifetime of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my chosen ones shall wear out the work of their hands, and they shall not labor in vain or their children for calamity. And by the way, children's not there either in, in the Hebrew. For they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. Chapter 66, and he talks about the new heavens and new earth over in verse 22. For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I make, will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure. And it shall be from new moon to new moon. Will there be a moon? Sounds like it. And from Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will come to bow before me, the Lord. Then they shall go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worms shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all mankind. Revelation 21 and 22 obviously pick that up and talk about the new heavens and the new earth and the Father dwelling here. Revelation 21 says there will be no more temple there because the Father and the Son will be the temple. And even now, we are the temple of God, are we not, individually? Because He resides in us through the Holy Spirit. And collectively, we are all the temple of God on this earth, in this day, and in this time. Um, look, look at one more. 25, Isaiah 25, 8 and 9. Isaiah 25. Isaiah seems to have a lot to say about future things. Isaiah 25, in verses 8 and 9, here's what it says. He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe away tears. Does this sound like Revelation 21? From all faces he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken, and it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God, for whom we have waited that he might save us. So Isaiah is some of that, and we see in Moses and Abraham. Now, now we want to focus on a few New Testament verses. Uh, and the first one I, I'd like to read is from John 14, 1 to 3. So turn with me, if you would, to John 14, 1 to 3, where Jesus is preparing them for his departure. And he says to them, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Um, let's go to another verse here. And that would be in Romans just, I want you to turn to Romans 8 with me and look at uh, some verses here where Paul, writing to the church at Rome, says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Are you suffering now? Will you suffer? We all will. We all do. But Paul says, and look at the, if you ever want to look at Paul's suffering, sometimes open 2 Corinthians. There's two chapters in there in which he talks about the sufferings that he went through. Beaten, without food, shipwreck, 
all this ground. I mean, he just goes through all of these things, left for dead. And yet he says, I, when, I come, when I think about these things, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's talking about new heavens and new earth. That's when the curse is lifted, even upon creation. For we know, he says, that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. What's that? The new birth. The Spirit indwelling us. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Do we groan waiting that day? As we get older, I think probably we do. Do some groaning. I talked to my sister last night who has MS, and I try to touch base with her often. She lives over in Bel Air next to Clearwater, Florida. And that poor gal has had suffering that you just wouldn't imagine. With MS, she's had several bouts with cancer. She's had all, all kinds of things going on. And every time I talk to her, it's just like a new battle for her. She can't get out of bed unless somebody helps her. And then she gets on the scooter to get around. You know, she's faithfully at her women's Bible study on Wednesday. She tries to get to church when she can. But her hope is not here. The whole creation groans. And not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. For we hope, for in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. There's coming a day when the future glory will be ours. And we will be in a new body, a glorified body with him for all of eternity. Let me read just a couple other turnover to um, Philippians 1. And I think you're familiar with this one where Paul says, For me to live is Christ. Now, because for him living was Christ, what was dying for him? Gain. Gain. He says it would be far better. He said, I'm not, I'm not anxious over when the Lord wants to take me. When he writes... 2 Timothy, the last letter that he writes before his death, he's in a Roman prison. He's awaiting. It could be days. It could be weeks. And he says, I know there's laid up for me. What? A crown of righteousness. And just before that, he says, in terms of my life here, Timothy, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished you know, we're long-distance runners in this life. My son Dave, who goes to this church, 
uh, was telling me just recently, he said, Dad, do you remember when I was running track? And he said, I was a 300 man. And he even went to states in 300. And that's pretty good. I could never run that fast, but he could. And he said, my coach one night said, Dave, I know we've got the big big meets coming up, and you're 300, but I'm holding you, and you're going to run the 600 tonight. Dave said, Coach, I've never run the 600 in my life. I can't, I can't run that. I'll never make it. I don't even know what to do. He said, well, just stay with the pack and uh, sprint out at the end, you know, as you, get, as you get close to the line. Dave said, I'm not, but I'm not a long-distance runner. I'm a 300-yard guy. Dave said, I won the race. <laughs> he won the race anyway because he was, he was that good of a runner. But the issue is long-distance races are hard. You remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and following? He said, we're all in a race, and we need to run to win, to win the race. And he said, I buffet my body, and that's not buffet. <laughs> I'm saying that for Louis' benefit because he'd get confused on that. <laughs> it's not buffet, it's buffet. I buffet my body, I make it my slave, lest after preaching to others, I should become a reprobate, is the Greek word there. The Apostle Paul says that. He said, We're in a race. And, and, and at the end of his life, he says, I fought a good fight, I kept faith, finished the course. Now, he would never say, I did that on my own. He would never say, he's not teaching their work salvation, because he says over in Corinthians, I did more than all of them, but, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me. We, we, we run in the grace of God. We constantly appropriate his power to run. But we're running because of the end of the race. We're running to win. We're running because of what's there. This life, this life is not our home. And that's why Paul can say, for me to live is Christ and dying is gain. And the issue for us is living Christ. Can we say the same thing? Is living for us Christ? Is that why we're here on this planet? Anne knows me well, well enough to know that my desire is to serve Him as long as I have breath. As long as he gives me breath. To love him, to preach his word, to teach his word, to speak truth to everyone that I get an opportunity to. So sometimes you might say, Will he ever shut up? Will he? I just love to proclaim him and his word. I like to play golf, I'm not very good at it. But being on the golf course, if someone said, hey, you can have a son, you can play golf the rest of your life, I say, no, thank you. Being here is not about that. Being here is about serving him. I don't think it's wrong to play golf. I'm going out Monday with Scott and Joe Torres and somebody else, I think. They're going to let me tag along. Um, something's wrong, but it's not Scott's and it's not my desire to spend our lives there. That's just one of those little joys that you get now and then. Well, if you play well. And if you don't, well, that's another thing. Anyway, let me turn you to one other verse here. Titus 2.13. Titus. 
Titus 2.13 says this, looking, looking, well, let's go back and read the context. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny what? Ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in the present age. Looking for what? The blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. We have to be living, looking for that blessed hope which is future. Now I want to turn you to the major passage I wanted you to look at with me. It is 1 Peter chapter 1. That's just beyond James. And James is just beyond Hebrews. So 1 Peter chapter 1. I remember hearing Kent. Um, what was Kent's last name? Pleasure. Kent Pleasure preach on this passage in this church one time, a few years back, before he decided to go to the Antarctic. I was stationed in North Dakota, and I told him when he was telling me that he had this church trying to get him, we were having lunch one day, and I said, Kent, I'll be praying for you. Because I said, if you go to North Dakota, I said, I bought a book in the Air Force base that I was stationed at in Minot, North Dakota. I bought a book in the Air Force Exchange that was entitled July, August, and Winter. (laughs) July, August, and Winter. And I said, I thought that was the funniest title I'd ever seen until I lived there for a year. And I went, no, that's pretty accurate. They can snow in August in North Dakota. But I remember him preaching on this. Listen to the words now as I read down through this. Follow this passage. Blessed, verse 3, chapter 1, 1 Peter, New Testament, just kidding. Uh, Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. Did you get that? Have you, ever, have you ever had an inheritance? Like, for instance, like if you had relatives over in England, there have been people who might get a letter someday saying, your great-great-great-grandfather, I don't even know if you knew you had him, he's left you a castle in Scotland, and you need to come over and get it. And you go, man, I'm getting a castle? Oh, what an inheritance. And you go to Scotland, and they take you out, and you look, and it's... A bunch of fallen down stuff. <laughs> you go, that's it? This is an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been. Um, distressed by various trials. I write in my Bible, and I just wrote over that word, and I couldn't read it at first. Distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at 
the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Now, a lot of times we'll stop right there in this passage. I want you to read, I want you to listen as I read three more verses, 10 to 12. As to this salvation, this ultimate salvation that he's talking about, life with God, life with the Lord Jesus, in the new heavens and new earth, forever, undefiled, imperishable. Here's, listen to this. And I want you to look for four groups of people here. First of all, the prophets, and then the Spirit of God, and then the apostles, and then the angels in these three verses. All of them are looking for the same thing. The prophets, the spirits, the apostles, the angels. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. That's the apostles. That's those disciples that became apostles. Sent from heaven. The gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which who longs to look? Angels. By the way, is there any hope for fallen angels? Even angels, the prophets, long to look into these things. The apostles preached these things. The angels long to look. The spirits involved. And Peter just says, folks, you have an inheritance which you can't even imagine. And you hope for that. And you long for that day that you're going to see. Now, we already read under number four, I have the biblical writer, writer's exhortation regarding heaven. Old Testament saints, I particularly there wrote Psalm 73, and I wanted you to um, just be aware that that's where I would have gone here. They're exhorting us, listen, seek heaven. That's where he is. And, and who do I desire but him? And he's in heaven, and the nearness of God is my good. Then in some New Testament passages um, regarding exhortation regarding heaven, turn with me to Matthew 13, Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46. Matthew 13, 44 to um, 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking a fine pearl. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. What's, what's our Lord saying to us there with these parables about the value of heaven? kingdom of heaven. 
It's like a pearl of great price. It is like a treasure hidden in a field. You, you would give everything that you had if you just knew how beautiful and how important and how lovely this and joyful this place will be. Now, I want you to turn also in Matthew back to chapter 6, and I want you to look at verses 19, Matthew chapter 6, and verse 19 and 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy, especially in Florida, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Now look at the next verse too. For where your treasure is, what? There will your heart be also. Be living this life to make heaven even more glorious. Lay up treasure there. That's what I think he's, when he talks about that, he's talking about the rewards that Jesus talks about with the disciples. You want rewards in heaven? He says you be the, you, you be the most humble person in this life if you want to be great there, if you want to receive rewards. And then over at the end of, of Matthew 6, he says in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen? Amen. It does have enough trouble. You never know. But we can trust God. He cares for the lilies of the field. He cares for the birds of the air. He will take care of us. We don't have to be that concerned about it. We need to keep seeking the things that are above the New Testament writers exhort us to do that as well. Um, I love this. Turn to one more passage in the New Testament. Luke chapter 10. I love this one. This is when the disciples were sent out and they come back. And in Luke chapter 10, in verse 20, well, let me start reading with 17. And the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, well, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in Heaven. That's the thing to keep rejoicing about. Not even when you have success in your ministry. That's wonderful when you do, and that's of God. But rejoice in this, that your names are recorded in heaven. And by the way, when you rejoice in that, you can go through anything in this life. Even death. Because you know that your hope is there. And it's eternal. And it's glorious. And you will be with Him. Now, related questions. We're down to about five minutes. Right, Jerry? Am I tracking? Okay. John says yes. And get with it.
<laughs> Here's some things I just wrote down, my thoughts. Why is having a clear and sure hope of heaven, this is under Roman numeral 5, so important for the believer? Number one, I put, because heaven and a new earth is our home, our eternal home. Number two, where our treasure is, there is where our heart will be also. Because Number three, because Scripture tells us to seek it over all on this earth. Number four, because we can't desire what we can't imagine. We can't desire what we can't imagine. And in these next four weeks, we want to look at all that lies before us. We're going to talk about the intermediate heaven, where we would go right now. We're going to talk about the new heavens and new earth. We're going to talk about resurrection and the glorious body. So many things. We need to fill that in. Uh, one day, by just looking at some things on the internet, doing some research, um, I came up with this. I thought this was really a, a neat illustration to fit with this number three. We can't desire what we can't imagine or know about in this life. This is why we need to focus so much on heaven. There was a swimmer by the name of Francis Chadwick. You ever heard Francis? Anybody? Yes? An English girl. She had swum. Did she swim the English Channel? She swam the English Channel in, in the early 50s. And in 1952, she came to California, and they took her out to Catalina Island. And she was going to swim from Catalina all the way into the coast of California. Anybody from California? That's probably not an easy swim. 26.2 miles. 26.2. And the morning she chose to swim, seas are rough. It's cloudy, <coughs> foggy. Now they had a boat alongside her, and her mom was in the boat. And as she was swimming, and she got closer and closer, her mom would say, Don't give up, Francis. You're getting close. You're getting close. But all of a sudden, Francis said, I, I, can't, I can't go anymore. I just can't make it. And finally they reached out and they pulled her out of the water. She was like, I think less than a mile from the coast. Here's what she said afterwards. All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. If she could have just seen the shore, she would have finished that. She didn't know where she was. She didn't know how close. It was the fog around her that boxed her in. And in the race that we're running, if we don't have a clear vision of what we're running towards and how glorious it is, that's why Paul said, run to win. Buffet your body. Make it your slave. Run all the way. And while you're running, bring some others with you. Bring some others along. I like that. I like what she said. She would have probably finished. Not only have swung some of the English Channel, but had swung from Catalina to California on that day. But she lost sight. Keep your mind on heaven. The grand hope, the imperishable hope, 
and encourage each other to do that. This is not our home. We're just passing through. Is that what the songwriter said? Yeah. Just passing through. Our home is there. And as long as we're passing through and aiming at that home, we want to live in such a way that Jesus Christ is lifted up and Jesus Christ is glorified in us. And we find our joy in Him and what He has prepared. Any thoughts, any, any questions that we just kind of start out, Bill? One of the things that Pastor Scott said uh, a few months ago, I forget what it was, um, that the best day in a Christian's life is the day he dies. For the true believer, that is absolutely right. All, all the battles, all the fights, all that we go through in this life as believers, that's now in the past. And it's glory that awaits us. I'm not so sure we always look at it that way, but it is that way. Yeah. Anybody else thought? So the next four weeks, we're going to really get into some more of the details about what it's going to be like and all of those related things in the intermediate heaven, the new heavens and new earth, resurrection, all those things will be coming. Yes. Uh, yes. Will we meet the people that have gone before us? Will we meet the people that have gone before us? I think so. Absolutely we will. And, uh, and I think sometimes too about people in my family that have been such an influence in me that have been with the Lord now since some of them since the 50s. Long time. And, and when I think about that, I think about, oh, it's going to be great to see that again. I had a, a grandmother in Maryland. I grew up in Virginia. She was over in Maryland, um, 30 miles from Ocean City and the coast there in Salisbury. She doted on her grandsons. And so there was a real bond. You know, I think my sisters would always say, how come she likes you more than... And I think she just doted on grandsons for some reason, but how she was such a special person. My uncle, her son, that never married and served the Lord all his life was such an influence. I look forward to sitting down with him. I think definitely we will. Absolutely. Saw another hand, will you? Yeah, uh, I wrote down on Isaiah 65, 17. It kind of makes me think that that may not be. I, I feel that you may not be able to you may know them, but not ask what they are to you now. Yeah, that I don't know. I mean, I think, I think again, people will ask about, well, what will we look like in heaven? You know, will we be age 30? Uh, remember I told you the story about what he said to my old professor at Dallas? When he said, you know, we're going to be in glorified bodies in heaven and we'll be able to fellowship. And then this one student said, well, how will we know you? Because if you're younger and the way you look now, and he was probably in the 70s then, like me, but, and like I am now, not in class. Yes? Somewhere I've read that uh, someone was married three or four times and who was going to be their wife in heaven? And the answer was that we're all going to be like angels and there won't be any marriages in heaven. Well, I think he said what he was saying is that we won't necessarily be like angels, you know, in, in makeup. But he's going to, we're going to be like the angels in the sense that the angels don't marry. I think that's what Jesus was saying. That's in, in the New Testament too. There. That's why Ann and I talk about being best friends there. Best of friends. We're best friends. And people say to me, like, you know those password questions? Who's your best friend? I always know what I'm going to put down. 
It's Anne with an E. Anne with an E. <laughs> she's my best friend here, and you know, she's going to be my best friend there. Any other thoughts? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you again for the time in your word and the time to be reminded and exhorted and encouraged to think heavenly thoughts, to desire to be with you, to not hold on to this world or the things of this world, but seek those things which are above, to lay up treasure there, to be rejoicing over the day that we will be with you or Jesus will return and inaugurate the new heavens and new earth. Thank you for these dear folks. Thank you for the time we've enjoyed. For those that brought the refreshments, Father, we thank you for that as well. And we just commit our day to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.